This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Robert Feckus at the Nerdster three. Th- Actually, it's just Nerdster, just Nerdster three thirty on uh, Instagram. There you go. Uh, and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. I'm your aforementioned host, everyday gangster, and charter member of the Speedway Spark Plugs Mafia, Matt Hurt. And with me today is recurring co-host Robert Fekas. I, I show no affiliation <laughs> to the Speedway Mafia. Right. At all. Uh, I don't I don't expect you the to... The spark plug you full of holes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. If for anyone that doesn't know, the Speedway High School mascot is a spark plug. Yes. So take... Take that information and do with it what you will. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't expect you to remember, but like we, we made that joke in the first episode of the Quentin Tarantino. Oh, did we really? (laughs) The, uh, like you mentioned the spark plug mafia. Because I said I was an everyday gangster because we were talking about Pulp Fiction and you said that it was great because it's just everyday gangsters. Uh, Uh, yeah, you're right. It's been so long. It has been a while. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So. Anyway, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'm so proud of myself for saying that with a straight face. You should be. Um, you should be. I've been looking forward to it all day. <laughs> I don't <laughs> doubt that. Yeah. Oh, God. So anyway, uh, yeah, welcome to the Obsessive Viewer. Fekus, how's it going? It is going well. Nice, nice. Uh, back from Vegas, we talked about yep. the Vegas trip on the Patreon Been almost special. three weeks now, I think. Nice. Very nice. Um... <laughs> I was gonna say I already have an obnoxious uh, Las Vegas hat, so you didn't like you didn't need to get me any souvenirs. You're you're right. I did not <laughs> need to, nor did I nope. get you any souvenirs. Oh, that's fair. Um, <laughs> my brother didn't either. I don't know. Turns um, out we spent a lot of money in Vegas. You know so. that is that is something that happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Can easily happen. Right. Uh, so yeah. So today we are continuing our. Uh, retrospective on the film work of one Quentin Tarantino. Uh, the last episode was recorded back in April, and then this one is recorded now, um, a couple weeks ahead of release. So we're on the eve of July 4th, just to put it into context. So happy birthday, America. Um, so, Fekus. So. We are going to kind of just dive right into it, I guess. Sounds good. Um, unless we have any new bidness. I don't think we do. I don't do. think so. No. Um, so, uh, first of all, just to recap, uh, in the last episode we reviewed Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown. Um, I re-listened to it. I thought it was a really fun discussion. Good, um, good, yeah, good. So I, was, I, was, I was very pleased with it. Um, today, we're going to talk about Kill Bill Volume 1, Kill Bill Volume 2, and Death Proof. And like we did last week, we're going to be spoiling and spoiling these movies at the outset. So just kind of make it a little easier. We're going to spoil these three movies. If you haven't seen them, go check them out and then come back and listen to the reviews. Um, yeah, but all of this is to build up toward 
uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, since it's been a few months since we recorded our initial retrospective episode, uh, how how's your anticipation for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Ever-increasing. I keep seeing the previews every time I go see the movie, and God, it just looks like a lot of fun. It really does, and the cast is... Oh, the, ca- the cast is just amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. outstanding. Yep. Uh, the latest trailer has like um, <laughs> has Leo go into his uh, trailer and he's like freaking out. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. that. that that a good one. Gift and everything, gift around, gift like gift, gift, um, gift. Yeah. Uh, oh man, there was something I could have brought up, but uh, for news, or maybe if we like wind down with a potpourri thing, I can bring it up. I don't know. Anyway, Kill Bill Volume One, Kill Bill Volume Two, and Death Proof. That's what we're talking about today. So if you haven't seen them come back when you have uh let's just dive into kill bill volume one here is a clip from the trailer and then we'll get into our review one tick to tokyo please one more that woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die no kidding i heard it was kind of hard uh, so, Fekus, Kill Bill Volume 1. Kill Bill Volume 1. Yes. This came out in 2003. Um, this was my... I was in, I was a sophomore or maybe a junior in high school. Um, junior. I was a junior. Um, anyway, uh, what was your expectations going into Kill Bill Volume 1? And, like, how did it... How did it... So, this... I was a uh, sophomore in college uh, when uh, when this came out. And so... As every uh, new early college student, I was an expert in film and all things mm-hmm. politics and everything. So yes. naturally, Quentin Tarantino was the god of filmmaking. And, <laughs> you know, as I, I would tell anyone with an ear, it's like, I really enjoy Quentin Tarantino. He's a masterful <laughs> filmmaker. So obviously, I am pumped and super excited for Kill Bill to come out. And if you remember, when Kill Bill was on its way to being released, originally it was set to be one movie. Right. And, uh, Later on, they decided to uh, split it in between two movies mm-hmm. via Volume 1 and Volume 2. Was that – do you know offhand if that was a Weinstein decision? I have no idea. Okay. It sounds like a Weinstein thing to do and also all the rape and stuff. Yeah. Um, that definitely sounds like a Weinstein thing to yeah. do. Um, I, yeah. I can't say for certain, but I, th- I feel like that that's probably like yeah. a Bob and Harvey Weinstein thing. Could be. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh yeah, how do you feel about it? <laughs> so I I was upset initially that they were going to split up the the two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, you know, I, how dare they? Mm-hmm. But it it you know eventually works out in the end. So I was super excited for Kill Bill Volume One to uh, come out, uh, mainly because it was going to be the very first Quentin Tarantino film that I would ever be able to go see in the theaters. Oh, nice. So that was very exciting for me. I had a large group of friends that we were all kind of in the same boat. We were all fans of Tarantino's early work, and we were super excited to see his take on a samurai uh, ninja movie. Nice. Uh, So how was that theater? I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I ended up getting it on DVD. Like, I think I blind bought it on DVD when I was working at Blockbuster. Good blind buy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I remember being very annoyed that apparently it never, like, I feel like there was always talk of there being a double Blu-ray release that's, uh, Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair, that has both of them, like, together in one, in one 
Blu-ray, but I don't know if that ever came out. They released, it was weird, they released like a sleeve that you could get at like Best Buy that you could oh, just package lame. them together. And I thought that, oh. yeah, not not like a, a, a two-movie thing. You know what, though? I, I feel like that's got to be the decision of Tarantino to make, and yeah. I almost feel at this point he has really just kind of decided that these are two separate movies, mm-hmm. and getting to discuss them later, I... I, I would agree with that. So I don't yeah. think he really wants to go and kind of mush them back together. I, I agree. However, he does count them as one movie. Oh, he does he? Does his whole like Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie. Or oh, whatever. interesting. Yeah, I think unless my math is wrong. <laughs> cause Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction three, four, five. Yeah. Cause death proof is death proof. Is uh, the fifth film by Quentin Tarantino? Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, and it's it's interesting because I don't mind them being separated or anything. I just want that, like at least that them collected into one Blu-ray like set, like have them individual I'm, and everything. If they release it, I wouldn't buy it. I okay. I don't view them as one movie. I view them as two separate movies okay. uh, for me, and so I. There'd be no need for me to have the whole bloody affair. I wouldn't want to watch it as a one standalone movie. Gotcha. Plus, that would be like four hours. It would be a long movie. To watch a four-hour movie. Um, But, uh, yeah, and and to the movie's credits, uh, they are two very different in tone like they're they are tone. extremely different in tone movies yeah. and my appreciation for either one of them has uh changed quite a bit from the time that i first saw them to, to oh, now interesting. so okay. yeah so let's get back to that first theater viewing in 2003 how did you feel about it um and and how did that feeling evolve over the years it I walked out of the theater in love with the movie. I had a blast with it. I thought it was amazingly choreographed, especially the uh, the big fight scene at the restaurant at the end. Yeah. I think it starts off with an amazing kick, not no pun intended, right. between her and uh, Vivica Fox, the big mm-hmm. fight scene in the house. That's a lot of fun. And from there, like the whole movie was just nonstop fun for me. Mm-hmm. Just a... a Great fight scenes, great dialogue, great character interactions with all the people that she's coming across throughout the entire uh, film. Mm-hmm. I love the stuff with uh, Hattori Hanzo, like oh, at the yeah. uh, at the sushi restaurant. I, mm-hmm. That's such a fun scene. I I had forgotten about that. Oh my god, that's that scene. Oh, it's classic. It was delightful. Yeah, it's so great. I love that entire. I love the like the knife drop in the back uh, room when she mentions uh, Hattori Hanzo. Yeah. So no, it's it was a blast. I had a lot of fun with the movie, uh, seeing it with friends, mm-hmm. and I walked out of it in love with it. I, it had a good badass feel to it. The soundtrack yeah. was very just upbeat and just kind of really got you in the mood to I don't know do something right. So it was it was a lot of fun. You can massacre a bunch of people. right. Go so- kill a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah murder. <laughs> And to this day, I still love the movie. It's mm. uh, I forgot how much I enjoyed it upon rewatching it uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm. Uh, it's just my appreciation um, for Volume Two has increased to to be, in my opinion, uh, a better or at least a uh, for my for me a better film to watch okay. than Volume One. You know, I will echo a lot of those sentiments and. It's kind of it's tricky because 
Kill Bill Volume One, like I, a lot of what you said, I love the choreography, the the just the brutalness of the of the fights, like the spurts of blood, like the <laughs> the like the 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 gore in the fight scene at the end is just amazing. It's it's, it's so incredible because it's not. I mean, it's over the top, but it's not like gory to the effect of like a Rob Zombie film, right? Or anything. It's like it's over the top, and it's meant to look over the top. Yes, it's stylized, like right. the, just the geysers of blood coming out of the out of the dis, like the dismember- dismemberments and the dismemberments. Uh, chopped off bl- yeah. uh, heads. It's like there's something For Tanaka-san. Kind of, yeah, there's something kind of uh oddly satisfying about just seeing just the just the fountains of blood right um just because you know that it's like it's not like like i said it's over the top but it's not too gross or, or right you know. it's very it's cartoonish stylized yeah, yeah. Very- um and that fight with the crazy 88s at the end is just really just yeah. the kind of pa stay resistance of the part one and that part has Probably one of my favorite long shots in film. Oh yeah, I, I the following uh, Sophie Fatale through the the uh, restaurant is just so good. It is good, so good. Um, the Charlie Brown guy is cool. I love <laughs> yeah. yes, the Charlie I Brown. I love that part. Yeah, um, it's funny because uh, I was talking to Mike a couple episodes ago at this point, um, and we were talking about digital versus like physical media and stuff, and like he was saying like I I. He he has a lot of anxiety over like digital media and stuff. I'm the same way. Yeah. Oh, and I totally get that. And like one of the things he said was like, "This is the thing. Like if I, like I know that if I have like a Blu-ray, like like that won't buffer. Like right. if I if I have a digital copy, it'll it'll buffer. Or if everything. something fucks up on my computer, it doesn't yeah. just get wiped out. Exactly. Um, I was watching Kill Bill Volume One on a DVD that I bought when I was in high school. And it skipped quite a bit. Oh, did it really? It skipped at the end. Like I was able to like rewind it, and like I cut off, like it cut off like thirty seconds. Yeah. But I was just like, that's so funny because like like last night I literally had this conversation with Mike, and it's like the DVDs like heard it. Um, <laughs> you gotta take better care of your DVDs, man. I know. Well, it's an old DVD, and I I don't know, but uh, but yeah, it's it's such a fun, energetic movie, and it's kind of something that I'm. I'm going to posit a question at the end of this episode, but I'll save it for then. But, like, it's a very fun, stylized, violent movie. And it's just uh, kind of a... In my eyes, it kind of feels like a, a continuation of sorts of the... I, okay, I kind of view Pulp Fiction... If you view it as a tit- as the title of Pulp Fiction, I feel like that, in the fact that it was Quentin Tarantino's, like, like uh, entrance into the scene... Uh, in the mainstream um i feel like that's like telling the audience like okay this is what my career is going to be it's going to be pulp fiction it's going to be right pulp film and everything and i feel like kill bill volume one is a great continuation of that because it's very pulpy it's very uh driven by just uh style over, I, I could be behind what you're saying. Yeah, to, almost to the detriment of, of substance because we don't get much backstory at all um, in it, and like that that's saved for Kill Bill Volume right. Two. But I kind of felt like to kind of dip into Kill Bill Volume Two. I didn't see that until until after I left theaters. Honestly, oh I, no, Kim. Yeah, oh, I wasn't wow. as primed for it because I felt like while Kill Bill Volume One was a lot of fun, it didn't leave me with really much. 
aside from oh Quentin Tarantino as a as a as a uh, name as a brand. Oh man, I couldn't wait for Volume Two. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it does leave on that cliffhanger of right. uh, the daughter being alive. So and it that was an interesting hook, but. I don't know. Maybe that was when I was cultivating. Yeah, because uh, Kill Bill Volume Two came out in two thousand four, so it was probably right around the time I was being a huge snob. Um, <laughs> oh, everyone likes Tarantino. Yes. I'm beyond him. Yes. Oh, you like sword fights? Watch Seven Samurai. <laughs> um, <laughs> of which I just got the Criterion. Do you um, probably don't know what Criterion right. is, but <laughs> oh yeah, my uh, my. <laughs> uh my gamer tag on uh when I had Xbox was uh Matty Kuzo because Kuzo was one of the obscure ass samurai in Seven Samurai. Oh, he wasn't pretentious. He wasn't even he he wasn't even like the main samurai. <laughs> he wasn't uh Toshiro Mifuni's character. He was I like, uh, love movies that are obscure exactly. and characters even more obscure. <laughs> Do you know who the grip was in that movie? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, yeah. Um, but anyway. <laughs> okay, enough shitting on me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I enjoyed Kill Bill Volume 1. How did you feel about the swap to black and white? Uh, are you talking about during the fight scene? Yeah. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Nice. And you know, as, as a fresh uh, film critic, I was like, oh, <laughs> the, the very style and aesthetic of that was really nice. vibrant and then subdued. <laughs> no, it was, I thought it was fun, and I love how they changed from uh, black to white back to uh, color. Yeah, same and, here. And I love the style uh, <laughs> of the animation when they're talking about uh, oh, Oshi, yeah. uh, Oshii's uh, backstory. Yes, that was that was very Yeah, cool. that was a very cool segment. Mm. Yep. Uh, just oh, oh, Ren Ishii. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, totally, totally forgot about that when until I saw the movie again because I haven't seen the movie in a long time. Yeah, it'd it been um, a bit, a bit for me too. Yeah. So, do you still feel that way about? It? I know that you said that Volume Two kind of raised. Oh, I still have the, the same uh, viewpoint okay. of Volume One as I did walking out of the theater, especially rewatching it now. It's nice. It's a lot of fun. Still, it's a great movie and. Yeah, a lot of the same feelings watching it uh, the other week were the same that I had walking out of it. So Nice. So, okay, how did you feel about this aspect of it? Because, <laughs> so, rewatching it, like, the the weird bleeping out of the of the character's name, I, I still don't get why, like, what... You know, I feel like Quentin Tarantino is one of those guys that puts things in films uh, for one of two reasons. One... To make people wonder why Mm -hmm. and not really have a reason or to have his own personal reason why and say, uh, it's, it's for me to know. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm going to tip my hat a little bit to the end of the episode, but one of the things I kind of, I wouldn't say struggle with, but I kind of have to reconcile in my mind when I watch a Quentin Tarantino movie is that so much, I I would say 90% of his of his work in one of his movies. So like 90% of the effort he puts into a movie is strictly style over any type. Oh, of he's stuff. very a style driven yeah. director. Um, that, I mean, there's never been a question about that. Yeah. And in a movie like kill bill, like the entire conceit of the movie is that she is out for revenge against, uh, bill. And I feel like there was just, I know that they save the backstory and everything for volume two, but in volume one, it just feels like 
we're going from admittedly incredible set piece to incredible set piece and it's engaging and everything, but it's like, I don't feel that much for the character because it's all style for me. Um, did you have to like reconcile that in uh, your mind? Not especially not when I saw it for the first time because right. you know, just like amazing set yeah. pieces. That was enough for me. Mm-hmm. And, and even now, and it might be just because I've seen both movies and mm-hmm. have watched these films several times since it's not doesn't stand out as a problem for me okay i i know what i'm getting into when i'm watching volume one and i know what i'm getting into watching volume two that may be why at this point in my life i find more entertainment out of volume twos because it is a deeper film uh and more character driven film Mm -hmm. but it doesn't bother me to watch uh volume one at all in the sense do you think that that's a an issue with Tarantino overall? No, because that's his style of filmmaking. I still feel like he has great substance substance in his movies. He's an incredible uh, writer when it comes to conversation. Mm-hmm. He creates amazing characters. Still, yeah. I no, not at all. I think he has just as much style as he does does uh, writing skill. So okay, yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that as we mm-hmm. go along in this retrospective. I'm sure. Um, quick side note, and I don't know if I'll put this in the episode or not, but, uh, I, <laughs> uh, my team at work went to lunch, uh, kind of because we're changing up the teams and stuff. So my boss was like, yeah, let's stay, let's go all out for lunch for like one last time, time as a team. Um, and there's one member on my team that's like, she is, I'll put it this way. She's retiring next year. So she's a lot older than uh-huh. everyone else in, in the team. And like we're sitting there, we're eating, we're eating our lunch and everything. And then like she, like she mentions, like w- like one of my other teammates, she's, uh, she has a second job as a as a as a waitress, like kind of an upper skill kind of uh, restaurant and car. Right. And so they were talking about like servers and and tipping and stuff. And like <laughs> the older member of the team, she was like, "Yeah, I don't really tip that much." Oh. Like, like, she, like and it was just I was like everyone was just like kind of like. Like side eyeing everyone, like are she fucking like, uh, serious? Like, and I was just like, I didn't, I didn't realize that people like that actually exist. Oh, um, they do. Yeah, they I just, really I, do. And then one of my other team members told the story of when she was in high school. She was a hostess at Out- Outback, and someone came in and they were having like they kept sending food back and like were just a total pain in the ass. And apparently they left a penny as a tip. And the waitress, like, grabbed it, ran out, and threw it at them. (laughs) Those kind of people are terrible. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, Kill Bill... I forgot where we were. (laughs) Kill Bill Volume 2? Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, let's go into Kill Bill Volume 2. So, yeah, so so Kill Bill Volume 1, good good setup for the story and everything. I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. I went on what the movie advertisements refer to as a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared, and I rampaged, and I got bloody satisfaction. You've got to start becoming afraid of her, because she is coming. And when I arrive at my destination, I am gonna kill Bill. Um, and yeah, so Kill Bill Volume 2 came out in 2004. Um, did you see that in theaters as well? I, I did. Uh, saw it down Bloomington, and that time I, it was me and Peter, oh, my brother, okay. my older brother. 
okay. he came down t- and we b- both went out to see volume two. Nice. I was, I was going to make the joke when you were talking about uh, volume one, like, oh, look at you having, having a big group of friends. <laughs> <in the three." laughs> uh, but that's cool. So, so you and Peter went and saw it in Bloomington. So how was the, that experience? Did it live up to you in that, in that moment? Uh, in that moment, I walked out of it, uh, really enjoying the film mm-hmm. i i don't think i knew what to expect out of volume two uh given what volume one was so i don't know like i really enjoyed it and i remember peter asking me when we were leaving the theater which one i liked more between volume one and volume two and i remember just telling him i don't know that i can compare the two movies because they're two completely different style they of movies really so i i've was like I don't, I'm not comfortable saying what which one I think is better because just they're two completely different movies and yeah. so I just re- remember needing a lot more thought and time to kind of digest Volume Two mm. before I could actually realize how I felt about it. Okay, that that makes sense. Um, I don't remember how I felt when I first saw it. I think I was just kind of bored with it, honestly. I think that I was at a time when I was, I mean, I was a teenager and I was just like, oh, like the first one had so much action and everything. This is just a lot of talking. Uh, which there's there's some really good action in volume two. There is. Uh, It's more subdued. Yeah. Um, and kind of on that same topic or, um, about volume one to kind of go back to volume one, I feel like we kind of skipped over this and maybe we should highlight a little bit the, Pussy Wagon and Buck, who's there to fuck. <laughs> How'd you feel about that? I feel like that's... Oh, I thought it was funny. <laughs> okay. I still think it's funny. Okay. And the <laughs> guy that came in to, <laughs> to fuck. Yeah, I... Who I makes don't... an appearance in Death Proof. Yes, yeah. he does. As do the detectives yeah. uh, from Kill Bill. Who are also in um, uh, Planet Terror. Oh, okay. See, I, when we get to Death Proof, I didn't have time to watch Planet Terror. I just, I've seen Planet Terror a lot, so I know okay. I'm pretty well versed in it. Gotcha. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. My, Michael Park and the, the person mm-hmm. that plays Michael Park's son. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. No. Um, are they. Are they father and son in real life? I don't know. Sounds like so. probably is. That seems like a very Quentin Tarantino thing to, yeah. to have done. Um, but with. With the kind of rape scene and everything, well, I don't know. Okay, first of all, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how to dance around this. The the coma sequence, I will say. Uh, first of all, that uh, when Daryl Hannah in the flashback is walking down the hallway and she's whistling that tune. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> on one, like it's super catchy and I I, I love it in the movie. Uh, I love her eye patch. Yes, me too. Um, and somewhat like that portion is somewhat ruined for me because i was like uh, they use it a lot in the first season of american horror story uh and i didn't like that show like mm, that first season yeah and like i kept thinking like oh that's a, that's a cool thing because i had forgotten about its use in kill bill i was like okay this is just another thing where they're fucking using something from something else because that's basically all that season one was was just rehashing <laughs> better things but i digress so um, the buck who's here to fuck thing and the pussy wagon, like it felt like I'm watching it now. And maybe it's because it's 2019 I'm woke or whatever, but it just felt like gratuity for no other purpose than to be gratuitous and over the top. I, I don't see it. I, okay. No, I mean, it's not like that shit doesn't happen. I don't want to think about that happening. Uh, 
Didn't it? Do you not forget? It just happened. Yeah. Guy impregnated a coma patient. Fuck, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was literally six months ago. God, that's terrible. So it's, Um, yeah, it's not like it's not a thing. But. I will say that the comeuppance of that is yeah, oh, really Buck's good. death is amazing. So it's hard satisfying. to watch. It's yeah. uh, just the oh, you yeah. almost feel his it head is, slamming that door. And that's another example of the violence being uh, like him towing that line really well in terms of violence because you don't. You, it's not like you don't see like a cracked skull or anything, but like just the sound design Ugh. and the force that she that she slams the door on. It's like it's it's all there, but it's still restrained enough to where it's not like grotesque. And I just really appreciate that balance that he struck throughout throughout his career, really. Um, yeah. So anyway, back to volume two. So the story is fleshed out quite a bit more in volume, especially two. the backstory yes. of the characters. Yeah, and it feels more. Uh, it feels like it. it goes even deeper into the kind of martial arts like homage that he was that he was doing like the whole sequence with uh Paime Paime was God I love yeah. that sequence oh my God. it's so good It's so funny because when I first saw the movie uh, like way back in like 2004 2005 uh I hated that Oh really I thought oh, it was so no. over like it took me out of the movie I was, was in love so with Paime the moment I saw him Yeah well that's the thing like I didn't get it like because i'd never really watched and maybe this is something we could have talked about before we dove into the reviews but never really watched martial arts movies or anything um so like just that seemed just very heightened and over the top but like watching it now it's like it's like i get it like i get like i still haven't watched any real martial arts movies or anything i've never watched kung fu or anything but i get it as a point of reference and just like the the kind of homage that he's doing in that is just like it's really good. I I, I really enjoyed the kind of training sequence. Yeah, that that whole sequence is so so good and Pai Mei is fantastic. Yeah. My favorite line is from there you have an excellent view of my foot. <laughs> Kicks her in the face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Oh yeah. Have you and this would be a good time to ask. Have you watched any martial arts movies like I used to I, I used to watch quite a few of them when I was in college. Okay. Uh I, I'm not like an expert on them, but I okay. had a lot of fun with them when I was in college. Nice. I've always wanted to see, um, well, really any Bruce Lee movies, um, like that whole thing. Oh yeah, I've um, I've watched I watched a few Bruce Lee movies. He's amazing to watch. That and then also I've never seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I've heard really <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Yeah, love Crouching I, Tiger. I'll have to. I'll have to watch it. Did you watch the sequel that was on Netflix? No, didn't have any interest. Didn't okay. didn't need to. Didn't fair. want to. <laughs> That's fair. Um. So yeah. Uh. So the storyline and everything as it's fleshed out. So we get the backstory with her, her training and everything. That's a good way to kind of seed. I I don't remember if it was. I mean, it's pretty obvious with the whole five five point palm. The five point. Palm. Oh God! What is it? Five point palm. Ah, it's gonna kill me. <laughs> the the five point palm pressure. Deus ex machina. Five point expl- palm exploding, exploding heart, heart technique. Yeah. Um. I just I like that because it seems like such a like old style martial arts yes. kind of concept. 
Um, and I just I, I appreciated it. And some of the, those movies do get into like the uh, the the pressure point hits like right. they like that. Like there's a scene in Crouching Tiger where one guy gets paralyzed by a couple of these, and then mm-hmm. uh, the main character comes over and hits some other uh, pressure points, and nice. he comes out of it. So it's it's very appropriate. Yeah. And to to cull from my knowledge base and everything, there's a scene in Three Ninjas where they are yes, on that. Yes, so, yes yeah. absolutely. Yep. Um, man, how great was Three Ninjas? I loved that movie I as a kid. I loved it so much. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, I, I really want to watch that now. There's like four of them. Yeah. Three I, Ninjas I, kick back. Yeah. One had Hulk Hogan in it. Oh, did it really? Yeah. I, I think I watched the one where they were in Japan because they were on a baseball team or something. Yeah. And I was just like, this isn't my three ninjas. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but man, I love that. I love yep, that. Yep, I love that movie too. Yeah. Um, what did you think of... Oh, okay, so Volume 2 really ex- like finally expands... Like we're teased with Michael Madsen in the first movie. Right. And then in Volume 2... He gets much more to it, and like in our previous episode, we I was, raved about Michael Madsen. And I'm gonna say it again: mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino has an ability to pull ridiculously amazing performances out of Michael Madsen. Yep. His character in Volume Two is fantastic. Oh yeah, the interaction he has with Bill, I love that scene. Oh yeah, that is such a good scene. Mm-hmm. And then everything, you know, him at the. Uh, at his job, as yeah. the, at the titty bar, you just you really just get a sense of you feel sorry for this do. downtrodden guy. Just yeah. you know, at one point he he was a world class assassin, probably mm-hmm. making all kinds of money. Now he's in a trailer in Tucson or uh, El Paso, I think El Paso, I think so, working yeah. as a bouncer at a titty bar. Right, and you just you feel sorry for the guy. You do, and I love the kind of. Uh, the fake out of, of his last line in, in volume one where he's like, uh, like, and we deserve to die. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's it like, like, it's redone in volume like, two, but, but then like, again, but then so again. do we. Yeah. Yeah. And again, fuck her. She, she needs to die too or whatever. Um, or how, whatever he said, but I just, I love that as kind of the payoff of that last line. Right. In volume one. Um, the scene where she goes to his trailer, like I, it had been so long since I'd seen Volume Two. Like I did not remember how how his character. Any, I didn't remember really anything about his character. So like when when him and Bill are talking, I was like, I vaguely thought like, wait, does Bill just kill him here or something? Like, I couldn't remember. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, you didn't remember yeah. at all. And then when he's at the when he's at the when he's at the uh, the strip club, I'm like thinking like. Wait, is there like a big shootout or something in this? What? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then when she's at the trailer and everything, I was like, I don't remember what. It, then boom, she yeah. just gets blown away. And I'd forgotten about the whole like uh, buried alive thing. I'd forgotten so much. Um, and I was just delighted with everything. Every oh, it's second, such a good sequence. Every second that he's on screen, I, I was the, just so into it. You hawked a Hattori Hanzo sword? <laughs> it was priceless. Well, not in El Paso, it ain't. In El Paso got me $250. That was great. Um, and the stuff with him and Daryl Hannah. like Oh, yeah. Th- that scene yeah. Th- between those two, that was good. That was oh, yeah. super good. And again, I forgot about the snake. And like, Oh, I, God. I, you you I, forgot I, about it. Yeah. Like, he's got one of the worst deaths in the entire <laughs> yeah. two movies. Just like, ah, this poor fucking guy. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. Just can't catch a break. Oh, yeah. And, like, I was thinking as it was happening, because, like, when the snakes, like, popped up uh, under the money, I was, like, like I jumped. Like, I was very surprised and startled. Because, <laughs> um, again, I saw this, like, once, like, years ago. But it was uh, it was so surprising. I kept thinking, like, am I okay with this? Like, because I kind of wanted, uh, you know... Uh, the bride to take him down and everything, but then like he's already been taken down. He had yeah by life. Yes, uh, <laughs> but I was quickly okay with that as soon as she and Daryl Hannah had her their whole. Oh, family. that the that fight in that trailer is amazing. so good. Um, just and when she just takes her eye, it's so oh. like when it squishes her in the foot. Yes. That, that's so that's, hard to watch. That's where I'll I'll walk back my whole like oh nothing's too gratuitous You're, or disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like that it was just like so like kind of, I didn't have a problem with it, but I was just like it, that made me a little. That was the one part in this in either of these movies as well as Death Proof that like I got squeamish a little bit. Um, but yeah, and just Daryl Hannah just. Her freak out after like oh I know that you got incredible. that seems so authentic oh absolutely oh my god it was so good uh so yeah so let's- I had this weird worry after that scene where she's still in the trailer I'm like oh, the black mama's still in there she might get bit and I, I, <laughs> now I'm just like you moron that you know that's not gonna happen right uh, yeah I don't know why I was thinking that that's how it's gonna end she's gonna get bit in the ankle by the black mama. <laughs> <laughs> she's bleeding out from her eye socket, right. but oh no, the black mama's gonna get her. Right. She's gonna die. <laughs> she's not in the middle of nowhere. No, I'm talking about the bride. I'm talking about oh. Beatrix. Oh, Beatri- I thought you meant. I thought you meant. No, no, I was okay. thinking that uh, Beatrix is gonna get bit. Yeah, I was like, I, I thought I didn't think that. I thought that there would. It would have been cool if there was like a moment between them. Like, they just kind of look at each other. Yeah, because they're both black mamba. Right. Um. Because that's her code name. Right. Yeah. Yes, I got yep. it. Um, Deadly Viper Squad. Yes. So let's let's kind of walk back a little bit and talk about the buried alive sequence. And in volume two, this is where it gets in. Like it does, it just dips into the black and white uh, briefly, which I think kind of it's it's an interesting juxtaposition because the uh, the black and white in Volume 1 is the big climactic action set piece thing and Volume 2 it's just this very quiet subdued one person in the frame just working working out like trying right. to get out of there. And I feel like that's representative of the styles of both movies like Volume 1 is very action driven and then this is very subdued and very character driven. Um I don't know if that was his intent but I just I like that we got a re resurgence of that kind of visual technique um how do you feel about the whole buried alive sequence oh so claustrophobic to watch like i I have some claustrophobia myself and that is just who it almost gives me a panic attack just look just watching that sequence it's yeah they do a great job of really making you feel Mm -hmm. the nails going into the coffin and the small sliver of light just disappearing Mm -hmm. yeah it's very well done oh yeah and he does not shy away from the nails or anything oh i know like it's like it's almost to the point of overdoing it like yeah she's definitely in there like she's definitely and then to hear the the dirt fall on the coffin yes oh yeah yeah that's that's awful um and i love that it's the the payoff of that is her doing the whole right punching through uh, uh, like 
two feet away or whatever, like three inches. Three inches. Three, yeah, two feet. But it's not two feet. Yeah, <laughs> three yeah Jesus, away. what kind of uh, coffin do you think <laughs> yeah. you're just going to get buried at in? At 100 yards. So they're doing roundhound kick, yeah. roundhouse kiss, kick, kicks to it. <laughs> um, but even then, like, when when she finally punches through and the dirt just falls, to, like, I was, like, like gasping for air. Right. Um, and then it gets, can I get a glass of water, please? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so there's... Uh, like what else about like the big okay, the big kind of confrontation with Bill when she when she gets there. Are you just gonna gloss over uh Mr. Viejo, Senior Viejo? Oh yeah, okay, yes, yes, yes. Go go yeah yeah. So that character, while a small role, mm-hmm. is a fascinating character. I wasn't uh, okay. <laughs> I watched volume two in a couple of different parts. Cause like I, I ran out of time and I was like, like really tired at this point. So it, I may have kind of nodded off a little bit here. Um, but yeah, he was a fascinating. I guy. love Esteban yeah. Viejo. He's, I don't know what it is, but the conversation mm. between them, he's so civilized and polite yet. You know, he's a horrible mm. human being, human trafficker. Yeah. It, yeah, and it just, it, at that and point. And you gotta wonder what brought it to a point where Bill, as a young kid, is hanging around with Esteban. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what in his life brought Bill to Esteban? True, yeah. I should probably rewatch that scene because I kind of felt like it was just a stop until, like, a, like a, a, a detour to get to Bill. I was kind of at that point. I was just kind of like, okay. Just kind no, of no, I really, I really dig that scene. Get the road. It's a lot of fun okay. to me. Okay. You know that's Michael Parks. I I saw yeah. that in the credits, and I was like, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, great performance. Absolutely. Fantastic performance. Um, yeah. Anything else about that? <laughs> I love the uh, the pussy died. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Bill said you've been driving a pussy wagon. <laughs> Uh, did we ever get closure on what happened to the pussy wagon? She just says that it, it died. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that gives it's gives the, the pussy died. There we go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then Bill. Then off to Bill. Yes. So this is, okay, I had like half an hour before I, like, let a peek behind the curtain. Last night I was watching Kill Bill Volume 2. I was getting very drowsy. And then I had half an hour left of the movie, or half hour, 35, 40 minutes. And I was like, this is at a part where I was like, okay, I can I can stay up and like power through and watch all of it and then just have a terrible day at work. Or I can pause it or like stop it and then revisit it when I come home from work tomorrow. So all of the stuff when uh, she gets to Bill and the, the kid reveals herself and everything, and she had like, the, we have that extended like, She's there with her kid, like, montage kind of thing. That kind of just felt like it was just really, really putting the brakes on the whole momentum of the movie for I, me. I th- it does, but I, d- I think it does in an effective manner. Okay. Because I th- feel like you're expecting this big confrontation, then boom, you get, there's BB. Yeah. Like, what 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 do you expect to happen? What what does what would anyone expect to happen in that moment? Right. So I I, I love it. I love the interaction. I love the the discussion between uh, Bill, BB, and her about the fish. I think that's an yeah. that's a great conversation and a great uh, like look into the mentality of the child. And 
it makes me think like, well, how did I even learn about death? Oh yeah. Like I, I love that entire sequence. Nice. I, yeah, I just, I, I love it on paper. Like, like the, like you said, the, the whole fish thing like that, like, and it gives a peek as to what, what this dynamic would have been like, had it not gotten to the point, gone to the point where she got blasted in the head by Bill. Right. Um, that's true. But I just, I feel like it, I don't know. Cause like when it, when I, again, I'd kind of forgotten that that was what happened. Like I forgot that they had like this little domestic like sequence. Um, and it just, it felt like it just slowed it down for me, but I love it in theory. Like it's a, it's an incredible reveal. Like when, when, uh, when she has a toy gun she's like, bang, bang, yeah, bang, right. Bang, like that was like, oh my god! Like in that moment, I was like, "This is like the most, this is the most emotionally impactful scene I've seen from Tarantino, um, just about at this at this point." Yeah, um, and it's just like it worked for me, but then then it just felt like it just we it was just a slow moving thing. Even when even when we get the conversation between her and Bill, like I felt like that was just it was just there was just so much history and everything and so much dialogue that they had to that they had to get through that it just felt like are you talking about the the conversation after she's been hit with the truth serum yeah i love that conversation really? I, okay. I think it's a fantastic conversation nice. i love the lead-in as to his uh comic book theory and to lead in mm-hmm. as to why this would never work out for her mm-hmm. i think that is a fascinating uh dialogue piece I and it it is, but I think maybe and it, you get such a sense of Bill as a person at that point because you haven't had it yet, right? And you I have think- you have two scenes with Bill that are fantastic before this. Mm-hmm. You have the Michael Madsen scene, yep. and then you have the scene where he's talking to her at the uh, uh, dress rehearsal of the wedding. Oh yeah, and I love that scene too. That is between her and Bill. I think that's an amazing dialogue scene too. And true. so now we're getting some depth into these two characters, and I think that conversation's amazing. That's true, yeah. And I was about to say that maybe it's because we didn't have enough of it in the lead up to that, but like you just gave <laughs> examples I can't argue against. That's right. Um, but I don't know. It just I it just kind of felt like I think it was just a uh, the tone. I don't know if I'd even say it's a tonal shift, but like just the. Uh, the shift in, in pacing. Cause it just felt like we had all this momentum that's just, it's paid off with the reveal of, of, I BB, think it would have been but... a detriment to the film to have a big clash of, uh, sword fight. Yeah. I, it, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, that's a cliche. Like that, that's right. what and leading up. You, yeah. One. And you kind of, that's what everyone's expecting to happen. They're expecting yeah. her and him to have this big fight on the, mm-hmm. as he says, on the beach on black. Right. I, I, no, I, I think it works out perfectly. Okay. You get this last piece of intimacy between these two people that at one point shared a life and loved mm-hmm. one another. Huge rift occurs. They haven't seen each other since. And then you have this last bit of intimacy before he dies. Yeah. And I, I think it's an amazing way to end this, the, the, the two movies. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. It just felt the pace, the uh, pacing wise, it just felt a little off for me. But how'd you feel 
when you first saw it, though? Like, and how has I'm, your opinion uh, changed? Over like, this is, I've had a lot of time to digest it all. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I, I didn't really have a sh- opinion yet. Like, I, okay. I had to, I had to, had to mold over, I had to rewatch it. So, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember enjoying it. I remember liking not having a big fight sequence at the mm-hmm. end because I've had that. I, it just it took me some views to appreciate the dialogue and the uh, the character interactions. And maybe that's where I'm at. Like I probably need to watch it a couple more times to kind of really get a sense of it. Because like I said, it's been several years since I last saw this movie, so I think it was all still uh, new to me when I rewatched it this time. So I think maybe that might yeah. be my disconnect there. And it's not like there's not an action scene at the end because we get a pretty cool intimate kind of fight sequence with them it's quick but right uh i love the choreography of it with the swords and and like fly like the <laughs> as impractical and and unlikely as it is but like the way that she like uh forces him to sheath the sword, yeah. the sword and everything which and I, maybe this is putting too much into uh, symbolism for a t- Tarantino movie, but I've, is there like some kind of sexual like? Yeah, I think you're putting too much into that. Okay, one. okay. Um, well, uh, okay. I'll I'll delete that blog post then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but sorry, yeah. nobody's on Tumblr anymore. Oh right, right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so and it it pays off the five point palm exploding, exploding heart, heart technique. technique. Uh, it does that well. Would you have, would you have preferred that that, uh, been introduced in the first movie? No, I like how, okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like if they did in the first movie, I mean, it would have been, we would have spent the year between releases saying like, oh, he's just, she's going to, she's going to learn that and do that to him. Yeah. I, I like how, how it came about here. And I love the interaction between, he was like, he, Pime taught you that. She's like, of course he did. Yeah. And, He's like, no, you're not a bad person. You're the best person. Yeah. It's just sometimes you can be a real cunt. <laughs> that was great. I had forgotten about that line. Uh, that was great. Yeah. I, yeah. And you, it just, it's very emotionally impactful mm-hmm. death. You can still see she has a love for him mm-hmm. still and vice versa. I just, and that's just a perfect way for that death to come by, I, I yeah. feel. I, yeah, uh, everything with the fight and everything worked for me. It was just the lead up to it just felt a little too, too dialogue heavy. No, like too, I too talky. Disagree. I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I did appreciate that that we did get some kind of choreographed fight with them because I at the time I mean was it John Carradine or David Carradine? David Which Carradine one? was it David Carradine. Yeah. Like he was kind of older. I, he was a very active. Older guy. But, yeah, but yeah. yeah. He was still pretty older. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm impressed that we got that. Um, with the potential sexual connotations of the sexual. Yes, yeah, so clearly. Yeah. Um, actually, I actually went on a very weird tangent on an episode of Anthology where, like, the episode I was reviewing was about two characters having kind of a for lack of a better term, a dick measuring contest, like who's, who's the better guy. And like, there's a scene where like in the background, there's a statue that's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, hunched over like the thinker, but his, his arms are kind of like outstretched. And like the way it's framed, it looks like a giant dick, 
um, coming out of coming out of it. And I was like, interesting. Yeah, and I was like, is that intentional? Like, because it's a big dish, dick measuring contest. Like, is that is that like? Did they do I that? think you just are looking for dicks and just about I, every I piece of media. I think media. so too. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's probably the case. You have to get off that grinder account, buddy. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> uh, no. Uh, anyway, uh, so Kill Bill Vine Two overall, uh, how do you feel about the entire Kill Bill duo? <laughs> well, at this point in my movie and watching career, I acknowledge that I feel like uh, Volume Two is a better movie. Okay. So really enjoy Volume One. So love Volume One, but. I think I find more enjoyment out of Volume Two now. Uh, maybe call it maturity or whatever you want to call it, but the dialogue and the character interactions really uh, hit home for me. Nice. So, um, where do you rank in in the four or five movies we've reviewed? Um, how does it compare to like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown? Uh, probably in between Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Yep, same here. Yep. Cool. So can't wait for uh the coming sequel. Okay, let's talk about that. Do you think that that's going to happen? I think it most certainly is going to happen. Interesting, because uh, because there was like a lot of talk about it, and then Uma Thurman was like, "Oh yeah, uh, Quentin Tarantino endangered my life on the set of Volume Two. Did you hear about that? Uh huh." Oh, yeah, like one of the scenes where she's driving the car, um, like they didn't have proper safety measures or what have you. Um, and she did, she filmed it herself and like the car, like she lost control of the car and like, uh, it crashed. <laughs> Women drivers. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, the, and she got in, like, she suffered an injury on set due to it, and, like, she, I think it was, like, in the New York Times or something, she, she, like, like, said that, it was around the time, like, the, uh, the Weinstein stuff was breaking, I'll put links to all this in the show notes, but Tarantino eventually, like, like, he responded to it in, in the press, saying, like, I, that's one of the worst, uh, moments of my career and my life, like that's like one of my biggest regrets, and I wish that I could take it back and everything, but I can't. Like he was kind of gracious about it, but uh, I think that there was a bit of a falling a, out. There's a falling out there. Um, but she did say in a subsequent interview that she said she would work with Tarantino again. I think it's going to happen. Really? Yeah. Now, do you think it will be uh, uh, Vivica Fox's character's daughter. I really hope that that's the case, yeah. and I really hope that Daryl Hannah's back in it as well as a an eyeless kind of like maybe kind of like a sage at that point. Yeah, but like well, I like Donnie Yen in Rogue One. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be. It. I I really hope that it happens, uh, I, and I think it will eventually. Interesting. Yeah, I maybe we'll see. Yeah. Um. I don't know, and I haven't looked this up, and I, I, I promise I will look this up before we do our next next episode of this, but uh, Quentin Tarantino has said that he's only going to do ten movies. Is that, are you aware of that at all? I've heard that before. If he does, he does. Like, if he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't. Uh, you know. Yeah, which, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth film from Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, and then now he's talking about doing a Star Trek movie? <laughs> I, I am, I'm down for that. I... He, I guess I am too. I just, I don't know what, I don't, I, it's not that I, it's not that I don't want to see it or anything. It's just, I don't know what that 
Could no, be, yeah, like, I, I don't either. But it's exciting. Yeah, I'll go see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So death proof. Death proof. From Quentin Tarantino, the director of Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Kill Bill, comes death proof. This car is a hundred percent death proof. Only to get the benefit of it, honey. You really need to be sitting in my This was in 2007, packaged with Planet Terror and the Grindhouse. Like, it was released in theaters as Grindhouse. Yes. Um, I remember this was like an event for me. Um, I went down to Evansville and I visited Mike and, and Pat. And we w- like got a group together and we went to the theater and we saw Grindhouse. I do specifically remember that Pat from the nerds you're looking for and i've said this on the podcast before it's just it's the kind of funniest kind of <laughs> it's funny but he like he, he like he told his girlfriend at the time who was not into that type of movie uh he told her that it was a skateboard movie <laughs> to get her to uh to agree to go and she was not very happy especially since it ends up being close to 4 hours yep exactly yeah uh, so <laughs> i just i kind of think back to that like I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny in retrospect. Uh, I'm sure she loved it. Yeah. But this was, it was, it was an event. It was exciting. I was very excited for it. And, um, yeah. So this was the first Quentin Tarantino movie I saw in the theater. Yeah. Um, and it was, man, the whole grindhouse experience, like, Having two films back to back, like packaged together like that, having fake trailers in between them, having like the grain, like the like missing reels right. stuff, like all of that, like the the experience of that is one of my favorite like theater experiences because it's an homage to you know grindhouse exploitation right. movies, and it's it's just it's an homage to something I've I maybe I don't have the stomach for. Um, like seeing those old those old types of movies that are just super gratuitous and violent and everything, but it's like it's an interesting window into that world that I have no connection with. Uh, kind of similar to Kill Bill Volume One and Two with with martial arts movies. Um, so yeah, I just I loved this experience. Did you did you see uh, <laughs> did you see Grindhouse with all your friends or just Peter? <laughs> I did not see this in theaters. Oh no, really? And I cannot tell you why. I don't huh. recall why. I, I remember wanting to. Yeah. I purchased both movies as soon as I could, nice. without seeing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea why I didn't go see this in theaters. Wow. And you said 2007. 2007. I was out of college. I was mm-hmm. working as a police officer. Was couldn't have been money things. I had uh, right. I had a job. Disposable income. I have zero idea why I didn't go see this in theaters. Wow. Could it be? Could it be because it was like a big three and a half? Hour no, I would have been all about it. Okay. I, I I do not know why I didn't get to see this in theaters, and I wish I had. Yeah, it's so. When you say that you bought it on on Blu-ray, did you buy them individually? Not a, it, have, like, DVD is uh, like they came out individually and separately at a time. Mm-hmm. So I bought each. I think Plant Terror came out first. I bought it and I bought uh, uh, Death Proof. Oh wow! So you you never. Wow, so you've never seen like it all in one go? No, with the trailer. Wow, I've seen the trailers. seen the trailers. I've seen the trailers. Yeah, uh, I and I've seen the movies Hobo with the Shotgun and oh, yeah. Machete. So, oh, we can talk about that in a bit after we get talk through Death Proof. I I haven't seen. Oh my god, I haven't seen either of them. Have um, you seen Machete? Yeah, no. 
I thoroughly enjoy Machete. Yeah? yeah. Nice. Okay. Hobo with a shotgun, not so much. Yeah, I've heard kind of... Because I, I don't think that that's necessarily... I think that that's like something that someone like came up with, and then they, they made it like later. It wasn't like one of the trailers or anything, I don't think, was it? Are you sure? I thought it was. I really I... think I thought it was. Not 100% sure now. <laughs> but... Because uh, the, cause the trailers... In the in Grindhouse were don't Thanksgiving machete machete um I don't know I thought it was I could be wrong yeah um we'll find out and talk about it next time <laughs> oh yeah I guess it was it was a trailer for uh, in uh, Grindhouse huh. starring Rutger Hauer yep um so anyway. I still want to see Thanksgiving. I still want to see it make Thanksgiving. And don't uh, with Edgar Wright. Um, but anyway, so Death Proof. Um, I, uh, by the way, I, ha- I have the Grindhouse Blu-ray with all that together if you want to borrow it and see it all in one Maybe day. after I've... Some time. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. So Death Proof. Uh, this is another big kind of pulpy genre thing from Tarantino. Um, considerably shorter because it's part of the grindhouse thing, which I'm actually so close, almost two hours still. Yeah, well, it's like an hour forty. Yeah, but like uh, about ten to fifteen minutes of that is uh, credits. Mm. Yeah, um, but this was the first, uh, and definitely not last, and hopefully we get more. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell in Tarantino movies, um. Dude is amazing. This movie would not have worked with if it weren't for uh, Kurt Russell. Oh, you don't think so? No, I don't. Yeah, uh, it, well, I and I agree completely. Um, and I think that um, Stuntman Mike, yeah, his name, yeah, is one of the like best like villain characters. He is. He's amazing. Yeah, and he's amazing because yeah. of Kurt Russell. Yeah, he's he's one of the best. <laughs> he's one of the best villain characters in a Tarantino movie thus far <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the next like three movies have right. incredible uh like he's a shark yeah. in this movie oh he's, he's a terrifying shark oh totally like, and when he does like the John Wayne impression oh I like, just, oh my god so good like that whole seek that whole scene between him and butterfly is mm. that's such a good scene so like good. he is intimidating totally oh yeah um God, I love it so. Like the entire movie is for the most for the most most of the runtime is like just depicting him as this just monster intimidation right. machine, and he's so just uh, flippant with people's lives. And I love how the end of the movie just, he, it, it's just he's crying for his life. So satisfying. Um. So and he's. God, he he might be one of my favorite actors. Like he's he is overall. so good. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, what did you think of the overall plot and how it kind of is segmented into two two acts? I would say this movie has grown on me more and more as I can as I watch it. So, like, I don't remember having a really strong reaction to it the first time. I think it was probably like, that's okay. But, mm-hmm. like, I've seen it probably four or five times now since then. And each time I watch it, I think I get, 
have a stronger appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character development of uh, the two sets of women mm-hmm. uh, as it progresses up to the climactic uh, interaction between Stuntman and Mike and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of fun with both groups of women watching them throughout the their evening or, or their day. And you kind of really get a closeness to them, especially the second group of women. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So – I, at this point, yeah, I really enjoy how it's kind of segmented between the two because mm-hmm. the first segment really introduces you into the menacingness of Stuntman Mike mm-hmm. and his true intentions with uh, what he's out there to do. I agree. I will say that at this point, <laughs> as far as like character development for for like the the female characters and everything, like it's it's good, but I feel like at this at this point. In Tarantino's career, I'm kind of getting a little dialogue fatigue from him. Uh, like the I've dialogue n- between them just felt like, okay, this is, I mean, this is a group of people at a at a table in a diner, kind of kind of thing. Like, okay, we've seen this from Tarantino, like not the content, but we've seen this similar type of thing. It just feels like it. It felt like it's it's leaning onto what is admittedly an incredible talent of Tarantino's is making really authentic and quick paced dialogue that works well in the confines of the movie but it just felt like it just kind of felt a little a little uh less effective than in previous movies and that's fair because this move this movie is literally dialogue interaction mm-hmm. action sequence yeah dialogue interaction action sequence yeah so like I, there's there's not really a break in the dialogue portions of it mm-hmm. so i get that and i get that complaint and it's yeah. a valid complaint yeah um did you notice uh stuntman mike in the background of the diner no i don't think i did he's sitting at the counter eating is he uh-huh. well they show him yeah uh, what uh, oh at the diner for the second group uh-huh Oh, I did not notice that. He's in the background eating at the diner counter. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Damn, I didn't notice that. I did another th- okay. Um, let's talk about just the style of the film. Uh how it is like they purposely like made it like they put in visual effects for like the the grainy right. film stock and like it seems and it as the movie progresses this gets less and less it's almost uh, non-existent in the second part yeah yeah that and then also like the sound design because like in the beginning like when they're in the car and they're they're passing the billboards and stuff it's like i had to crank up my audio because like they like by design like it's like clearly like made like a kind of a shitty sound design like, right there's more sound coming from the from outside the car than inside the car and like I, like i like that gradual progression where it becomes more of a for lack of a better term legitimate movie or, or more um uh professional grade movie. sure um and that's i'm really thankful for that because we get some really cool uh, like a really cool extended like vehicular chase vehicular chase um <laughs> car chase car chase yeah. uh a vehicular uh action sequence out of it um i did like the in the second group one of my favorite lines of anything and maybe it's because i have a soft spot for mary elizabeth winstead but where they tell her that she's that or when they tell the guy like okay well she's in a porn yeah, yeah. And then, like, they leave, and, like, you get that guy, and he just goes up to her, and he's like, uh, Gulp. And she's just like, gulp. Like, I just, I, something about, like, it's so simple, but it is so hilarious to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love it. Um, 
Yeah, so what did you think of the action and the violence? The violence is a lot of fun given what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I love the first part of it uh, coming from when he's just leaving the bar in the first sequence with um, With Rose McGowan. McGowan. Yeah. It's like my favorite part right there when he's like, okay, am I taking a right or am I left? He's like, left. He's like, oh, that's a shame. I love it. so great it's amazing Incredible. like that that turn is just perfect mm-hmm. and then the sequence of him killing her in the car oh it's horrific oh it's so great and like and just the the glee in his performance when he's like uh, you know i said it was death proof it is death proof but like whatever the line is. but you only get the benefit of that if you're sitting in this seat yes it's so god damn it i I love Kurt Russell. Oh, he's so amazing much. in this movie. Um, he is he is just so incredible. Um, I would I would say I I would say that he is up there in terms of um in in terms of Quentin Tarantino's like like cast of of performers that he recycles and uses and stuff. He's like Kurt Russell's up there for me with like Samuel L. Jackson, um, in terms of just getting uh, like excitement over him being cast in the yeah Tarantino. he's he's so much fun it, oh, yeah. so much fun to watch and he's a great character in everything he does mm-hmm. yep um so yeah so like the action sequences yeah. were that great. first that first crash is is fantastic i love mm-hmm. how e- they cut a frame for each individual girl's death yes. and the part oh, where God. uh jungle julia's leg goes flying out the that window amazing. oh it's so good that and then when the uh is it the hood or something comes in it comes in and just like his his tire his uh his tire comes through the uh roof and just like smashes butterfly's face in so great god that was amazing um ah so awesome so the second the second one or the second like group of characters second segment maybe yes um so the chase sequence at the end i really i I loved it because, and th- I'm not a car guy at all. That's like, a good car chase, it though. Is. And what I love about it is that, like, uh, while I'm not a car guy, like when I was a pretentious, like before, okay, before I was a pretentious film snob teenager, I was a teenager who just liked looking at muscle cars. Sure. And I really, really liked like Mopar muscle cars, like, uh, like my my favorite car when I was a kid was a was a 1969 Dodge Charger. Which is what's in the movie, and it's the reason why I bought a updated one, like a current, like Dodge Charger, because uh, I was like, oh, I, I love Chargers. <laughs> um, that was like twelve years ago, and it's terrible on gas mileage. So that it is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, but just ha- seeing a Challenger versus a Charger on 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 screen, like in in filmed so well, is just so so fun and so satisfying to me. Yeah, that was that was a whole lot of fun. Like I'm not a car guy, but mm-hmm. I can appreciate a good car chase and that yeah. was in a, a great car action sequence. Yep. And I love yep. how it starts off too. I love the whole the whole piece of these oh uh, two idiot gearhead girls like let's do, we're going to be yes. fucking morons and get on the hood of the car. Which brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you. When you were in like high school and you first got your license and everything, did you and all your friends back then? Um, <laughs> did you <laughs> Did you do any stupid shit with cars? No. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. That okay. wasn't really my thing. Yeah. Uh, we didn't either. Um. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, just 
drive around. Definitely didn't sit on the hood of a car and drive 70 miles per hour down the highway. Oh, yeah. No fucking way. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then the other question I wanted to ask you is uh, when Stuntman Mike does the pit maneuver, have you ever done a pit maneuver in your... I have uh, not. You have to be... For a few reasons. One, you have to go to a specialized school to become pit oh, certified. And two, you have to be on a department that has a policy that allows you to do it, and Speedway does not allow oh, us to do it. So, And funny side note, I've talked a lot about the uh, Facebook Live police chases that I like to watch when they crop up on my newsfeed and everything uh-huh. uh, from like California. Uh, I finally saw one where they actually used the pin maneuver uh, to great effect. I have been in chases where, because, uh, you know, we work with the surrounding agencies, and mm-hmm. Indianapolis Metro has several pit officers, and they've helped out on our chases. So I've been in front of a, a car that got pit maneuvered before. Oh, nice. So, and it was to great effect. Nice. That's so interesting, because I've, I've never thought of, you know, uh, like the... Um, process of that because like, i i just um, i just assume like oh okay you're in a police chase like any means necessary like like i well there's I'm, a lot of liability involved in a, in a pit maneuver obviously sense, so yeah. you know there's you, you can't you're not supposed to do it at certain speeds mm-hmm. uh you have to take into account the surrounding are you in a residential area are you in open road that type of thing you just you know if guys going 70 miles per hour down a, a school street you're not gonna want to pit maneuver right. and have them flip over uh and kill a bunch of kids yeah. so so you can't like take your gun out and fire at the at the tires to try to blow out the tires no i can do that oh, all i want yeah yeah Good. yeah not even when you're in a chase just no that's I that's how yeah. i get speeders to stop yeah there you go <laughs> no red red lights and siren for me it's just round yeah. after round after round yeah I mean, they get that effect. It's right. loud, and they, they stop. Yeah. They usually urinate themselves, but right. <laughs> uh, just for liabil- liability's sake, uh, Fekis is not. Uh, none of that uh, is, none true. Of is true. Um, so anyway, uh, anything more on Death Proof? I uh, I would say that uh, the performances out of all the girls were really well done. Mm-hmm. I really liked the characters. I would say the one person that almost got a little bit too much was the uh, the black girl in the second part of it. Oh, yeah. She, um, she, she towed the line of overbearing. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember her name. Um, I really... She, she was in... She was in Rent. Rent, yeah. And she was also in an episode of The Shield. Um, but Zoe Bell yeah. was fun. Uh, I, I like how they used uh, Uma Thurman's stunt double uh, yeah. for it. Uh, she she was adorable when she gets thrown off the car, and they're like, she's just like, <laughs> she's I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So she she was a lot great. of fun. Uh, I yeah, I liked all the all the girls that uh, per- were in the both segments. There, yeah, me too. Yeah, the, all of them were very likable and. Mm-hmm. Just especially the second segment, they were they were badasses too. So. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, <laughs> what's the turn in that is so satisfying when when he when he gets out of the car and he's like he's he's doing that like faux humility kind of thing like oh that was fun it's oh, like that was great that was great adios and then she fires. Like, boom. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was just a joke. <laughs> oh, it's so great. So we're about to get into movies where in the next episode where it almost seems I don't know if I this is premature to say this, but it seems like like these next three movies that we're going to talk about next week are a little bit on the there's a potential that it's on the side of 
Quentin Tarantino being a little overindulgent. And, like, they're super long movies. They're, like, all two and a half, three hours. Um, freaking The Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Overture. Um, or I think when they had the roadshow version of it. But anyway, and they even have it, like, separated into four parts on Netflix. Oh, do they really? They do, yeah. I don't know if that's the roadshow version separated in four parts or if it's, like, the theatrical run that's in separated in four parts. But... I just like Death Proof because it is this, like, little kind of, like, appetizer, a little dessert for Tarantino's, like, career. Because it's just, it's very, it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's a smaller right. movie. And you get the sense he probably had a lot of fun doing it. Although, oh, totally. he, he says that it's his, his worst film. Oh, he has said that, hasn't he? But, when it, while he says it's his worst film, I don't think he means to say that he thinks it's a bad film. Because right. he, he's, he's very proud of the film. Sure. It's just, you know, if you're going to make nine films, one's going to be your worst. Right, exactly. And just because it's the worst doesn't mean, you know, it's a D pa- paper. Yeah. It can still be a, a solid B, B plus. And I think right. he probably looks at it that way. And he probably had a lot of fun making it. And he's mm. proud of it. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it it arguably is his worst film. Yeah. It's 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 maybe his most, like, fluff movie. Yeah. Like, it's it's very... There's not a lot of substance to it or anything. But it he did it... need to be. You're right. And he did it, have like, a, as a fun project with his buddy, Robert Rodriguez. Exactly. So, you know, it's... It is what it is, mm-hmm. and a movie that's going to be a takeoff of Grindhouse Films mm-hmm. isn't, in and of itself, in its nature, going to be a Oscar-worthy contender. Exactly. It, it's going to be a Grindhouse film. Exactly. So. And... To their credit, both Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, they, and granted, I don't have that frame of reference, but, like, they captured that aesthetic so well in these movies that it's just, it was, I was really pleased with Death Proof. Uh, I will say this, I think uh, Plant Tear is the better of the two. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I, I'll, I'll have to rewatch it. I have a lot of fun with Plant Tear. Okay. Uh yeah, I'll I'll revisit that and then I'll I'll bring it up in the next episode. But um let's kind of wind down, I guess. I guess that's about it. Where do you rank Death Proof with Well, you said it's probably I would no, uh no, it's not where I would rank it. Okay. Uh I would rank it second from the bottom. I still uh, and this is going to be probably pending the first time I'll watch the movie since I saw it in the theater, Hateful Eight. Okay. I just yeah. I saw that in the theater and I did not get a whole lot of enjoyment out of I, it. I am so excited to talk to you about that next time. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to rewatching it mm-hmm. and kind of because it's it angers me that I have those feelings because it has right. everyone in it. It's got oh, Sam yeah. Jackson, Scott Kurt Russell, Zoe Bell, Channing Tatum, uh, Michael Madsen's back. It's got. Yes, yeah. Bruce Stern and uh, the goofy-looking guy that's in Justified. Oh, uh, oh, Walt, uh, Walton Goggins. Yeah, Walt, yes. Walter Goggins. He's he's great. Like, there's nobody bad in this movie, right. and it kills me that I did not like it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm gonna rewatch it, hopefully with an open mind, and see how I feel about it again. Nice. I'm very much looking forward to that because I rewatched it if like four months ago um and like that was the first time i had seen it since the theater and like i'm i'm ex- i'll say this i'm excited to rewatch it before we record <laughs> um even though it's still fairly fresh in my mind fair um, enough so i'm looking forward to that um the parting thought for this for this portion of the quentin tarantino retrospective so i've mentioned that it seems like he is a very like he he has made his career as a kind of pulp filmmaker and he's very uh 
style over substance and everything. So uh, the kind of question going into part three is, is, is that all that he is? Is he just this stylistic director or is he capable of turning in like a, a, a story of more substance? Like we get a little bit of that in Kill Bill Volume 2. Like we get really intriguing character development and everything. But is there – do you think he's capable of turning in a, uh, a movie that is more character-based over substance or over style or is he – does he even need to be that – I don't know why he would need to be like he has he's an auteur. He has his worldview. He showcases it in every single movie he does. This is his the way he makes movies and these are the types of movies he makes. Every director has a voice. Some people choose to deviate from that voice sometimes to the detriment of their career, sometimes not. These are the movies he enjoys making. I don't think he thinks he has to make a certain movie for anybody because he makes these movies himself. I I don't think there's any need for him to try to be something that he's he doesn't want to do. Okay, so that's I, fair. Um, we will talk more about that next time. Okay. I think and see if there's any type of substance in the in the next three movies which next time we're going to be talking about inglorious bastards uh from 2009 uh i almost said to django uh django unchained from 2012 which i'm really excited about because i have not seen that since oh my year. god i love django unchained yeah oh yeah uh and the hateful eight from 2015 so that's gonna god, be fun been nine years since he's made a movie yeah it's nuts um wait nine years since 2015 you said is yeah. when uh yeah that's four years four years i was yeah. thinking 2019. 2019 it's still four years is sorry yeah, yeah four years I, is so I, long I went time. along with it right like, yeah it's been nine years <laughs> it's been nine no years. four years that's such a long time between films for it is oh yeah. yeah so we're yeah we're coming up to the end of the uh retrospective here so tune in next time for that and uh yeah so any parting thoughts on uh these three movies and uh one final question after your final thoughts if you have any i think all three of these movies are a lot of fun and i am very nostalgic especially about the kill bill ones nice um in out of these next three movies do you want to see more feet since Tarantino has such God, he just I think there's just not enough feet. I I don't think so. Yet. Yeah, he it, he's got a, a super foot fetish. It's, it's so like he's not even trying to hide it at no, this point. It's like and it I do, I do kind of appreciate that in Kill Bill Volume One, it's actually pertinent to the story. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like her 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 muscles have atrophy. Move like, your big toe. Yeah. <laughs> and just, but, uh, but in fucking. Uh, Death Prayer, they just have Kurt Russell like blowing on Rosario Dawson. Yeah. So that's super creepy. Ugh, gross. <laughs> um, yeah. And just the parting, parting thought for this episode is uh, just, ima- just imagine Quentin Tarantino saying the lines in a very creepy tone that uh, that Uma Thurman says in Kibble Volume 1, like, wiggle, wiggle your big toe. Um, <laughs> without breaking eye contact from him. Um, yeah, so anyway, that'll do it for this episode. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, if you want to get on the ground floor of our Patreon exclusive content, uh, Fekas and I just had a conversation about what did we talk about? 
<laughs> stuff. Stuff. Uh, his trip to Vegas. The question of uh, what I would do. Bankroll with $5 billion. Yes. Find out what Fekus would do with $5 billion. Movie industry related. <laughs> Hint. Um, a lot of dildos involved. A lot. Like an alarming... <laughs> amount like i didn't even get through the question like oh those for everyone um so uh me i was just like dark tower on amazon but anyway uh check that out that's the name of the big dildo that i have in my club <laughs> oh god so check that out at patreon.com slash um uh, obsessive viewer uh i'll put a clip uh here at the end here uh from it so yeah that'll do it thank you guys so much for listening tune in next time for part three of our quentin tarantino retrospective in the lead up to once upon a time in hollywood uh once again thank you guys for listening and have a good one And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Uh, I would get final cut on it, on the pilot that they're making now. If I don't like it, scrapping it, starting fresh, um, because we're going to do it right. That's right. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. And then the other one would be uh, something I've been championing a lot on across across all podcasts, really. Um, a Stephen King anthology TV show that's episodic, so standalone episodes, where each episode is based on a Stephen King short story. Oh, nice. Yes. That's a good call. Yep. I would just, like, that would make me so happy. <laughs> I would also use what remaining funds I had left to buy the rights to Jaws to make sure no one could ever re- remake it. Jaws? Jaws. Okay. That's no one's No one's allowed. Okay. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Fekis, and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. 
You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!